Open your Bible to Judges, chapter 13. Judges 13, and we continue uh, this morning talking about uh, what happened in the book of Judges. As I mentioned already this morning, we're going to be looking at the life of Samson. And so an angel of God appeared to Samson's soon-to-be mother and father and was describing to them how he was going to bless them with a child who would rise up and be a judge, and his name would be Samson. And in verse 4 and 5 of Judges chapter 13, we read some instructions that the angel was giving to the parents. He said, now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean, for behold... You shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, drop down to verse 24, same chapter 13 and verse 24. Verse 24, we read, so the woman bore a son and she called his name Samson and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. God, thank you for just the the incredible and miraculous way that you've preserved it. For thousands of years, God, we, we have your inspired, preserved word that speaks to us all the way to this very day and even in the years ahead until the day that you come again. God, this is just another one of those ways that we are amazed by you and how you love us because you provide everything that we need through your word. And so God, I pray that you'll make it rich to us this morning, that you'll make it alive. And God, that it will be not only convicting but inspiring in everything that we need. Blessed in the ear of every hearer, Uh, exactly the way that they need to hear it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So we see in these two passages, Scripture, verses 4 and 5, and then in verse 24, that God says that the child grew, Samson grew, and God blessed him. Now, he blessed him because as you read in those first few verses, Samson was intended to be separate, separated unto God from the womb, from his birth, from the day he drew his first breath. And church, actually even before he drew his first breath, amen. And if that means if you don't think that God is involved in conception, you don't understand the scripture. There are no accidental conceptions, amen. Somebody needs to say amen to that. God always knows what he's doing, and he prepared this mother and father and told them even before she even conceived, you're going to bear a son, and he's going to be set aside for me. He's going to be separated for me. Now, we've got a word that we use for that. It's called holy. Now, holy is one of those words in the modern church that we just don't like to use. It's almost like a bad word. It's like, holy, did he just say holy? Man, we don't want to use that word in church because we don't like the word holy. It's kind of like the word repentance. Nobody likes the word repentance anymore. 
And I think part of the reason that most people don't like the word holy is because of what it implies to you. Nobody, I mean, you want to talk about being a killjoy, right? When you think of holy, most people think of all the things that they can't do and all the fun that they can't have. If that has ever crossed your mind in regard to being holy and the word holy, raise your hand because I'm raising mine. All right, there's a lot of you. There's a lot of people, they don't want to talk about being holy. They don't even want to pursue being holy because it means there's a whole bunch of stuff that I can't do and, and I really kind of think that I'd like to. But you know what that definition of, of, of holiness really is? That is religion. That is legalism. That is how most people view the term holy. They view it through a religious lens and they view it through a legalistic lens instead of what it's actually supposed to mean. And, and by the way, it does mean to be set apart. But here's the thing. It isn't just about separation from something. That's the list of do's and don'ts, right? When you think, holy, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't go here. I can't go there. All the things you can't do. That's just one aspect of holiness, but it's the one that legalists and religionists focus on. Holiness isn't just about being separated from something, it's separation to something. Somebody should say amen to that. And the separation to something in this case is separation to Jesus Christ. We are not just supposed to be separated from things in the world. We are supposed to be separated unto Christ. It is love for the Lord. Now, let me give you an example, an illustration that I think might help put holiness into context and help you make a little bit more sense out of what holiness is. Your marriage, if you're married, or if you desire to be married, you understand what marriage is. Your marriage, marriage is a great example of what holiness is actually supposed to be. How do I mean that? All right. So when you take vows as a husband and wife, and there's a few that have taken vows recently here, um, Dylan and Audrey, still feeling good about your vows? Amen. Good. That's good. Didn't mean to put you on the spot like that. I just want to make sure. All right, so when you go through wedding vows, there's this thing about forsaking all others. How many of you have heard that in the wedding vow? Forsaking all others? Now, that just doesn't seem fair, does it? But all the fun that I can't have, all the things I can't do, all the places I can't go, is that what that vow is really all about? No, that is a declaration of love. That is a declaration of commitment. That is a declaration that I only have eyes for who? For you. I've only got eyes for one other person and it's you. I don't care what anybody else has to offer. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else does. I only have eyes for you and I am forsaking all others. Amen. By the way, next week will be 30 years for us. Looking forward to that. So over the course of that 30 years, 
do you think that either Leslie or I, and some of you have been, been married much longer than that, do you, do you think that it was a bad thing that we forsook all others? Absolutely not. It bonded us together. It grew our love. It strengthened our commitment. It made us better as a husband and wife. It made us better as a man and a woman. And church, that is actually what holiness is. Holiness is a proclamation of your love for Jesus forsaking all others. Wow, is that the best you got? Seriously? It is saying, Lord, I don't care what the world offers. I don't care what somebody else suggests. Lord, I only have eyes for you. That's holiness. Samson was meant to be set aside for God's purposes from the moment of his birth, his birth. And church, whether you recognize it or not, you were intended and meant to be set aside for the purposes of God from the moment of your new birth. See, Jesus was asked, well, how does, how does a man you know, enter into heaven? And Jesus said, you must be born what? Again. You gotta be born again. And he said, now this isn't a natural birth. This is a, this is a spiritual birth. It's a birth from on high, but it's a birth. And he used that term because it has the same implication. It is the start of a brand new life, a brand new existence. And God intended Samson to be set apart from birth. And when you and I become followers of Jesus Christ, when we are partakers of the new birth, you are meant to be set aside for God's purposes. That's why 1 Peter 1.16, Peter reminded us that we're supposed to be holy because it's written, be holy for I'm holy. The God we serve, the Christ we follow is holy. And so if we're following him, if we are supposed to be made in his image, and guess what? If you're a physical child of a physical mother and da uh, father, do you not inherit their traits? Right? Do you not bear some family resemblance to your mother and father? Is it not passed down from the parents to the child? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So when we are born again and we become partakers of the new birth, our Father, church, is holy. Our Savior, church, is holy. And so when we become partakers of the new birth, when we come, become saved, we are supposed to be set aside for God's purposes. Church, holiness is not a word, it's not a, a, a style of life to fear, it's one to embrace when we understand it properly, that God, I only have eyes for you, I don't want anything else that the world has to offer. Amen? That was God's plan for Samson. It's his plan for you. But let's keep reading and kind of see what happened. Samson was born, he grew up, and in chapter 14... We'll look at the first few verses of chapter 14. It says, now Samson went down to Timnah. 
Now, let me just pause right there for a second. Timnah was not in Israel. Timnah was not in God's promised land. Timnah was not part of God's people. It was occupied and inhabited by the Philistines. Samson was going somewhere that he honestly had no business going. Now, quite a few years ago, some of you my age and older, you'll, you'll remember this. Some of you younger, you might recognize the name, but you might not know the song. There was a guy by the name of Elvis. And he did this song that said, if you're looking for trouble, what's the next part? You come to the right place. Now, I just wonder who knew that. <laughs> if you're looking for trouble, you've come to the right place. That might have been, that might as well have been the background music that was accompanying Samson down to Timnah. Because he went looking for something in the wrong place. Let's continue reading. He saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and he told his father and mother saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Verse three, his father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren? Or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. There's another translation that simply says, she looks good to me. Go get her because she looks good to me. Now, church, you need to understand that any time you go down into the devil's territory looking for something, he's going to show you something that will appeal to you. Take it to the bank. You go down looking somewhere you have no business looking, and Satan will show you something that looks good to you. But church, write this down. I'm serious. Write this down. Make a note of this. Not everything that looks good to you is good for you. Except when it comes to desserts. <laughs> Has no, no application to this truth whatsoever. But church... Not everything that looks good to you is good for you. Samson went somewhere he had no business being. And in the middle of being somewhere where he had no business being, he saw something that looked really, really good to him. And the next thing you know, he wanted it. Now, church, I think that this is one of the most dangerous realities 
in the human condition, even among God's people, all right, we don't like the idea of being holy. We don't like the idea of being set apart from God's, uh, for God's purposes. We don't like the idea of being in the world, but not of the world. You know what we like to do? We like to try to get as close to sin as we can without getting tripped up. How many of you know that's true? Man, we like to get as close as we can. We want to get right up to the edge. We get right up to the edge. Like, whoo, well, that was close, but I, I, didn't, I didn't fall for it. I, I, well, right up to the edge, I didn't fall for it. Church, that is an incredibly dangerous game. Now, you know, when the Lord was here, he used some interesting ways to communicate. I mean, he drew in the dirt. He spit in the mud and wiped mud in people's eyes. He put his fingers in people's ears. He told weird stories. Jesus didn't really care about the method of communication. He was concerned that the communication accomplished the purpose. And as I've thought about this thing, that this, this uh, um, kind of engagement that, that Christians have that want to get right up close to the edge of sin but, but not fall for it, I was reminded of something that I saw once that is, I think, the greatest illustration of this I've ever seen. Now, some of you are probably going to go, why in the world are we watching this? And you'll understand why that in a second. But don't forget, Jesus used all kinds of ways to illustrate a point. We remember far more of what we see than what we hear, right? You know that? I'm going to show you something that might throw you for a little bit of a loop on a Sunday morning. But I promise you... This is about a three-minute, three- or four-minute video clip, and it will be one of the best illustrations of this problem that you have ever seen. So watch this, and then we'll talk about it. We do the carnival, go with you the carnival. We're going to the carnival, go with you the carnival. There it is, SpongeBob. The carnival is back in town. I'm going to be first in line for everything. Where is everybody? I don't know. There was one kid here earlier. Doesn't look like any carnival I ever... Oh, excuse me. Oh. Stop, Patrick! Don't touch it! This isn't the carnival, Patrick. Those are hooks. Mr. Krabs says they're really dangerous. Hmm. I sense no danger here. How could they be dangerous? They're covered with free cheese! All I know is Mr. Krabs said, Patrick, don't do that! Mm. Cheesy. No danger here. Go on, try it. But Mr. Krabs said... SpongeBob, let me ask you something. Does this look dangerous? Ah! Patrick, don't! Lighten up, will ya? Or do I have to eat all this cheese by myself? <laughs> Patrick, you're alive! Am I ever? You should try it! But what about the surface and your bridges and the gift shops? You just jump off before you go up too high! Mr. Krabs said I shouldn't get near those things. Did he say you shouldn't climb on top of them and ride them like a horsey? Well, no. Whee! I guess he didn't! Ha <laughs> 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 oh, silverfish! They should be 
again? Again! The hooks! No, no, no! One, two, three! Wait! Wait! Boys! I wasn't quick enough! They're gone! <laughs> if I could only hold them in my arms again! I... I... <laughs> I throttle them! What did I tell you about those hooks, boy? I, I... I'll tell you about the hooks. You ride them up and up and up, then you gently float down. And do you know what happens when you don't float back down? Give shop. Worse! You end up vacuum-packed in a can of tuna with nothing to look forward to but the smell of mayonnaise. Ah, we're sorry, sorry Mr. Krabs. I want you boys to promise me You'll never go on those hooks again. We, we promise to work this way. You're not going to work today. We're going to go play hooky. But, Patrick, we promised. Well, I had my fingers crossed. You don't have any fingers, Patrick. Well, that Mr. Krebs is just a big dummy. We played on those hooks all day long, and nothing happened to us. But Mr. Krebs said... Look, SpongeBob, are you going to listen to a big dummy, or are you going to listen to me? Um... See you later, SpongeBob. I'm gonna go have some fun. Come on, SpongeBob. You know you want to. Oh, I know I want to, but I promised Mr. Krabs I wouldn't go near another. <laughs> oh no, Mr. Krabs told me all about you. You are a liar, a deceiver! I'll never fall for your tricks again! Never! Is the seat taken? Glad I got that out of my system. Ed Church, that is how far too many of us Engage with the cycle of sin. See, Mr. Krabs, he's just like every preacher I've ever known. No, stay away from the hooks. Stay away from the hooks. But Satan is going, well, you know what? It's, it's all good. There's some good stuff on here and nothing's going to happen to you. You can ride up and up and up. And before something happens, you just jump off and you just float back down until... You get hooked. And church, if you go looking somewhere where Satan is going to offer something, you are playing a dangerous game and you are more than likely going to wind up getting hooked. John Piper, one of the greatest pastors in uh, the last 50 years, he made this statement about sin. He said, sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I'll be more happy if I follow it, if I follow the sin. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. So when you start looking at what sin offers, when you start looking at what Satan offers, you know, he says, hey, if you'll do this, it's going to make you happy. 
In fact, it'll make you happier than you are now. So why would you deprive yourself? Why would you follow the list of rules and do's and don'ts? And why would you set yourself apart to God when I'm offering you all of this? Samson, although he was set apart for God, did not understand the power and the pull and the danger of walking too close to sin. Teenagers, young adults, stay out of places that will lead you down a wrong road. Stay out of them, don't go there. It will not be to your benefit to to go in there to try to prove how strong you are. You're going to wind up the loser in that game. And so Samson goes down and he says, hey, I want her because she looks good to me. He got engaged. Everything went south. Um, It didn't work out. Samson got mad. He took some revenge, set fire to a bunch of fields. The Philistines got mad. And they came and they, they spoke to the, the men of Judah who were now under Philistine oppression. And they said, you either deliver Samson to us or we're going to tear you up. We're going to destroy you. And so the men, Samson's own people, God's own people came to Samson and said, hey, we got to turn you over or it's... It's, it's doomed for us. So Samson agreed. Samson said, okay, you can turn me over. Just don't kill me yourself. So he put him out in the middle of a field, tied him to a stake, tied his hands behind his back. And in chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 14, chapter 15, verse 14. He's out in the field. He's tied to a stake. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Now he's in the middle of a field tied to a post. They're feeling pretty good about this. And then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He reached out his hand and he took it and he killed a thousand men with it. Pretty impressive. He snaps his ropes reaches down, grabs just a jawbone that has been bleached out by the sun laying on the ground and kills a thousand Philistines by himself with the jawbone of a donkey. You'd think he'd celebrate. Verse 18, he became very thirsty. And so he cried out to the Lord and he said, You have given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Here is Samson, who God has just given this miraculous victory to, and instead of celebrating God's goodness, he is railing at God. He just did something incredibly good. He just killed a thousand Philistines who were oppressing God's people. But he's angry at God. And church, 
Here's a point that I want you to understand. That doing good things does not make you a good person. There's a lot of confusion in the world today. And there's a lot of confusion in churches all over the place. That, hey, if I do enough good things... If I, do, if I do enough good things, they'll outweigh the bad things that I've done. Well, church, let me, let me just be real clear. You're never going to outweigh all the bad things you've done. Just not going to happen. But some people think that, or, or they think if I, do, if I do a few really enormously large good things, and when my life is over, God's going to put all of my stuff in a scale and he's going to weigh it against each other. And if the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, then I'm going to come out okay. Church, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I can guarantee you today that Satan has, has brought more people to spend eternity with him in hell through that lie than probably any other. Because the Bible tells us it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You can never do enough good things to earn salvation. But there are all kinds of people who are confusing good works with being a good person, which makes them a candidate for heaven. Don't make that mistake. And don't make the mistake of equating good works with good character. Because you can do good things and be a terrible person. Samson was a great illustration of that. He was ignoring his holiness. He was ignoring his Nazarite vows at almost every turn in his life. And yet, God was still using him. Church, just because God is using you in some shape, form, or fashion, don't ever mistake that for thinking that, man, I got it made and I'm a good person. Doing good things does not make you a good person. But you know what? If you develop good character, you know what will flow out of that character? Good works. You know why? Because good works is a natural byproduct of good character. You can do good things and not be a good person, but you can't be a good person without doing good things. So focus on building the character of God in your life. That is something that Samson was missing entirely. Now jump over to chapter 16. At some point, Samson went looking for another woman because the woman that he wanted down in Timnah, that did not work out. And the Philistines burned her and her father's house and her in it. And once again, Samson went looking for a woman in the entirely wrong place. This time, he went to a prostitute. And it was a woman named Delilah. And in chapter 16, looking in verse 16... It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart and he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if I'm shaven, 
then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now this comes at the end of a continuous effort on her part. She was bribed by the Philistines. Say, hey, find out what is the secret of Samson's strength. So she'd ask him and he would tell her and he'd, he'd, he'd lie to her. He'd say, well, it's this. And then in the middle of the night, every time he told her, she would wait, Samson, the Philistines are here. And then he'd get up and he'd wipe them out. Now you'd think, right, that after that happened about four or five times, he'd see a pattern here. Wow, she asked me, what's the source of my strength? I tell her, and the very next morning or sometime in the middle of the night, the Philistines show up. Duh! You'd think he'd recognize that. And you read this, and here he is finally telling the truth. I'm a Nazarite. I've been set aside for God from my mother's womb, and I have never had my hair cut. And once that happens, then my strength will be gone. And she realized that he was telling the truth. And you go, how can he be that dumb? How can he be that, that dense? And I'm going to tell you something, church. It's even scarier than the idea that he's dumb. I don't think he was dumb at all. I think that throughout his life, Samson had been the star of his own show. And he liked the star of his show so much that he thought that he was at a place that he was invulnerable. Well, it doesn't really matter what I tell her because look at all of the things that God has done in my life. Look at all of the things that I've accomplished. I think that Samson had gotten so arrogant in what God had allowed him to do that he had got to the point where he thinks it doesn't matter if anybody knows because nothing is going to happen to me. In church, it is a scary, scary moment when you get to the place in your life where you think that you are invulnerable and nothing bad can happen to you. Don't ever, ever allow yourself to get to that place. But I promise you, there are Christians all over America and maybe even sitting in this place right here, right now, that are there right as we speak. I think Samson saw himself as Superman. And he didn't realize that he was playing with his own spiritual kryptonite. And I think that far too many Christians, because God has allowed them to be used in their life, because he's worked in them and through them at various points in their life, it's really easy to get to a point where, man, God loves me. He ain't going to do nothing. And yes, church, hear me. God does love you. He sings over you. He dances over you. But there will come a point where he will not protect you when you continue to ignore his teaching. Scripture tells us that rebellious hearts willingly suppress the truth. It's like, it's the truth. Everybody seems to be able to see it. But a heart that's in rebellion against God, they'll just pretend like it's not even there, like it's not even true. That's how you can wind up thinking you can play on the hooks and not get caught. Just think I'm immune. I'm too strong. God's got too much for me to do. He won't let me go down. Yes, he will. If you decide to ignore him long enough, he will. In this particular case, Samson was living in the moment. 
And the truth, if you look, if you look back at verse 16, she pestered him daily. Now there's lots that could be said about that. I won't go there. But in the moment, the only thing that mattered, he wanted relief. I am tired of being pestered by this woman. And it doesn't really matter what the situation is. When you live in the moment, instead of the long view of life, instead of the long view of eternity, when you focus on the moment, Satan will always offer you a measure of relief if you'll just give in to him. But here's the thing. Anytime you give in to that measure of relief, it will always be temporary. You may get temporary relief, but the consequences can be incredibly long-lasting. The Bible tells us that in verse 20 of chapter 16, same thing happened as it happened every other time before. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and he said, I'll go out as before at other times. I'll shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. Church, when we think that we have gotten so strong in the Lord, when we think that we can't fall, when we think that we can go right up to the edge and live there without winding up in trouble, when we think that we can play on the hooks over and over again and not get caught, you are lying to yourself. The Bible says, can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? I mean, can, can you do that? Can you gather it close to you and not wind up being burned by it? The Bible says you can't. I don't care how strong you think you are. You can't keep walking up to that edge. You can't keep playing close to sin and not wind up getting caught by it. And then the very time that you think that you need to rely on the Lord, you're going to wake up like Samson did one day and not realize that the Lord had departed. And when it says the Lord departed, what it means is that the Lord was going to let him now suffer those consequences of everything that he had been doing. And you know what Samson's consequences were? They caught him and they gouged his eyes out. Here is a man that took pleasure in what he saw, right? Oh, she looks good to me. He went and found a prostitute. He loved what he saw. He took pleasure in his eyes. And they gouged his eyes out. And then they took him and they used him like an ox in a grist mill, pushing a beam round in a circle, round and round and round and round while he was in chains to grind wheat and make flour. That was the life of Samson. That's a long way from where he started, isn't it? Church, when we play the game of hooky, when we play the game of seeing how close we can get to sin, no matter how much the Lord wants to use you, no matter how much he can do in you and through you, When we play too close to the edge for too long, somewhere along the line, God is going to say, you can have exactly what it is that you have been pursuing 
and you can deal with the consequences. Church, I urge you, I caution you just like Mr. Krabs did, stay away from those situations. But you know, the story of Samson is bad news and good news. And in this case, I mean, you know, it was, it was so bad what had happened to him. But at the end of his story in Judges chapter 16, verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords of all the people who were in it. And so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. I'm going to ask our worship team to come to the platform as we prepare for the end of the service. But I want to make one final point as they come. I think one of the most double-edged words in the English language is potential. There is a massive difference between he or she has great potential and he or she had great potential. And you know one of the things that I have noticed when we talk about the word potential is that in more cases than not, we usually use it in the latter case. Man, what a shame. They had such potential. He had such potential. She had such potential. And look what happened to them. Who would have ever believed it? Who would have ever thought? Now, I love when you look at, at, at a young, uh, young man or a young woman or a teenager and you go, man, I just see all kinds of potential in you. But you know what potential actually means? Potential means it hasn't happened yet, right? If you've got potential, that means it hasn't happened yet. You have the ability, you have the opportunity, but it hasn't happened yet. And when we use it in the latter case, it means, yes, they had the ability, yes, they had the opportunity, and they did nothing with it. And church, I think the greatest tragedy in Samson's life is not that he didn't get the girl, it's that he never became the man that God created him to be. Now, in God's grace, that seems a little weird application of grace and mercy to let Samson sacrifice himself so that he lost his life at the same time as thousands of Philistines. But in that moment, Samson accomplished more than he had in his entire life to that point. So God sort of let him go out on top. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy in your life. But church, it is, it is tragic to wait until the end of your life 
to wait until you're in that last season of your life to say, God, I don't have much time left, so God, use me as best you can. No, that's a waste of a life that came before it. It is far better to ask God to use you to your full potential for his purpose in your life and in the world right here, right now, where you are today. There are people who go, well, man, I just, I don't have this or I don't have that. And you know what, church? It's not about what you have. It's not about what you don't have. It's about what you choose to let God do with it. Samson was a man who was born into the world with enormous potential and never lived up to the man that God created him to be. You may feel some identification with Samson this morning. You know you're not where God wanted you to be. You know you've never experienced the fullness as a young man, as a young woman, as a teenager in the middle of your life. You know that you have not accomplished, you've not lived up to that person that God created you to be when he set you apart at salvation. Today's the day you can change that. Because it's not about what you have. It's not about what you don't have. It's about what you let God do with it. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe you need salvation this morning. Maybe you haven't had that new birth. Today's the day that can change. Come pray with me. I'll pray with you. I'll lead you in the prayer of salvation, and we'll we'll begin that journey together today. For the rest of you, whatever God's laid on your heart, come and do business with the Lord. Father, I pray that you'll have your will and your way in every heart and every life that is here and watching online in Jesus' name.